Hey, listener. So I saw a meme the other day that had me rolling laughing. It was Sir Isaac Newton looking very bewildered. And it said, when you work from home and accidentally discover gravity. (laughs) And it really got me thinking. I went on a hunt for other famous historical figures who did amazing things during quarantine and from the home office. So in this time of corona, quarantine, and a lot of bad news, we created this episode so you can have meme-worthy laughs and inspiration from famous historical figures who worked from home. Welcome to the Burt Force Podcast. Our show helps active duty military spouses land virtual careers. Each week, we'll be uncovering the secrets of virtual work to help get you hashtag hired. If you want income sustainable from anywhere in the world, this is the show for you. We are bringing you everything from juicy job opportunities to advice on how to glow up for a virtual interview. And now, Let's meet our host. She's the change maker responsible for getting over 700 military spouses hashtag hired and making a $15 million impact in the military community. Burt Force founder, professional speaker, remote staff augmentation specialist, visionary. Here's our host, Kimber Hill. So, listener... Did you know that working from home has actually been around for 1.4 million years? I found an article from Fast Company that cited one of our early human ancestors as Homo ergaster. And he's one of the earliest discoveries of man's bones to have been found. And he's found with advanced tools for his time. And these tools are fossilized very near to his body. And he is working very near to his home. So archaeologists and historians have called Homo ergaster the working man. And it's known for being one of the first instances of humans working from home. So working from home is not a new concept. And there are some majorly successful people who currently work from home. And Richard Branson is a great example. He is the chairman of the Virgin Group. And we know him for all of his incredible business and telecommunications endeavors. And I found this quote from Business Insider. And it's Branson telling us, why he works from home. And here's what he says. We like to give people the freedom to work where they want, safe in the knowledge that they have the drive and the expertise to perform excellently, whether they are at their desk or in their kitchen. Branson also goes on to say that he has personally never worked out of an office and never will. You know what else isn't a new concept for us humans? Stressful social and economic events. Yeah, I'm talking about pandemics. I'm talking about wars and anything that can impact our global economy. 
We've been dealing and overcoming with issues like coronavirus since well before the Black Death struck in the 1500s. In fact, if we look at our species history, we can see these issues. While being very somber and very serious, they have a huge impact on our progression as a race. They change the way we think as a human race. They often unite us to find a way to persevere. There's this very informative scientific journal installment by a Swedish economist called Josef Talby. He explains that there are actually four proven factors which can occur simultaneously that force innovation, force it. Those include economic obstacles like oil spills and product shortages, negative environmental externalities, organizational work environment like unsafe working conditions, technical bottlenecks, and limited technology. And hello, how many of these things are we facing right now? Four out of four of these options are occurring in different capacities around the world thanks to our current state of pandemic. But Talby's economic calculations and studies also indicate that these scenarios, while serious and difficult to overcome, they also represent a silver lining to come in the not-so-distant future, and humans always find a way to overcome. Forbes actually released an article about how epidemics spark innovation. We'll link that article in the notes. The gist of it is that pandemics catalyze innovation and accelerate change by providing an environment for launching and testing new ideas. Forbes indicates that we can expect huge developments in the work-from-home space to include technologies like Zoom and trending collaboration outside of the boardroom and in your home. We can expect our perspective to completely shift on how much importance tangible real estate actually holds in the matter of getting work done and having a career. One of the ways in which we persevere is driving innovation and change from the home office. Yes, dear friend, sweet listener, let that sink in. People, and Americans in particular, have been unleashing the power of the human spirit from home since the beginning In this episode, I'm going to give you so many examples of prominent historical figures who did great things from home. Today, we find ourselves in a change-making moment. So let's reflect on our foremothers and forefathers who used times of economic crisis and plagues and wars to continue their mission from home and shape the future of the human race. We're going in chronological order here for no particular reason. It just seemed to make sense. So I'll be starting with the Black Plague. The Black Plague is also called the Black Death. It happened around the 15-1600s. And one of the prominent historical figures who is associated with the Black Plague and who is responsible for ensuring that as a human race, we remember it, 
is Shakespeare. We can speculate that Shakespeare likely wrote from home because theaters and offices and places where people would normally congregate were quarantined and closed while he was writing. We do know he was greatly influenced by the Black Death because it shows up in his writings. When the theaters were forced to shut down in 1593 due to the spread of the plague, Shakespeare published this narrative poem, Venus and Adonis. And in the poem, a goddess begs a kiss from a beautiful boy. And the quote is, to drive infection from the dangerous year. For she claims, the plague is banished by thy breath. Lovely, mushy stuff there, right? But it's also suggested that another closure of theaters in 1606 enabled a creative burst from Shakespeare. Since there were no performances, since there was nothing for him to to direct and, and put on, he had a lot of time on his hands. And it's speculated that within one year alone, he wrote King Lear, Macbeth, and Antony and Cleopatra. And the plague is also referenced in these works. In Antony and Cleopatra, a Roman soldier fears that his side will fare, quote, like the tokened pestilence where death is sure. Oh, and this happens again in Romeo and Juliet, which was written in 1593. The messenger who's supposed to be telling Romeo that Juliet is only pretending to be dead gets quarantined because they think he has the plague. So that's the reason why Romeo never gets the message and then offs himself. And we can clearly all appreciate the literary and theatrical impact Shakespeare made on European and Western culture thanks to these acts. I mean, we still read these today in high school. We still perform his plays in modern day, all because he continued to work in such trying times. So Shakespeare left us with insight and hope that love can overcome plague, and he showed us that we too can be productive when our offices are shut down like the theaters. So next up is Sir Isaac Newton. I talked about him in the beginning, but I I do want to tell you his story. It is very interesting. Sir Isaac Newton lived in 1665 during the bubonic plague, and This is a pretty thorough story. So the content that I'm going to read to you right here, it's consolidated and paraphrased from an original article on Same Messenger, and we're going to link that below. This is how it's written. Isaac Newton was in his early 20s when the Great Plague of London hit. Cambridge sent students home to continue their studies. Without his professors to guide him, Newton apparently thrived. The year plus he spent away was later referred to as his Annus Mirabilis, the year of wonders. First, he continued to work on mathematical problems he had begun at Cambridge. The papers he wrote on this became early calculus. Next, he acquired a few prisms and experimented with them in his bedroom, even going so far as to bore a hole in his shutters so only a small beam could come through. 
From this sprung theories on optics. And right outside his window, there was an apple tree. The story of how Newton sat under a tree, was bonked on the head by an apple, and suddenly understood theories of gravity and motion is largely apocryphal. But according to his assistant, John Conduit, there's an element of truth here. Here's how Conduit later explained it. Whilst he was musing in a garden, it came into his thought that the same power of gravity, which made an apple fall from the tree to the ground, was not limited to a certain distance from the earth, but must extend much further than was usually thought. Why not as high as the moon, he said to himself. So there you have it. We can thank the bubonic plague and working from home for modern calculus, optics, and our understanding of gravity. Maybe you're kind of mad at Sir Isaac Newton for that. Maybe you appreciate it. <laughs> I think we can all joke on that one. The next big historical event that I wanted to touch on is the Revolutionary War, which occurred through 1777. It actually started in 1775 and lasted until 1783. If you look up the Revolutionary War, you'll find a quick synopsis like this one. The American Revolution arose from growing tensions between residents of Great Britain's 13 North American colonies and the colonial government, which represented the British crown. While times were tough during the Revolutionary War, more soldiers died from disease than combat. Let that sink in. Yeah, a lot of people died then, but typhus, smallpox, and lack of access to effective medication were huge killers. Which brings us to our next major historical figure, Thomas Jefferson. The stresses of the Revolutionary War had been ongoing for more than two years when Thomas Jefferson took to his rental home, the Gaff House, to draft the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, the Declaration of Independence was written from someone's home office. Jacob Gaff was a brick mason. You can actually go see his house today. It's located at the southwest corner of Market and 7th Street in Philadelphia. But there, Thomas Jefferson and his butler were taking up residence. They had rented two rooms. And in this house, Thomas Jefferson sat and drafted the Declaration of Independence. So if you don't believe great things can happen from home, it's time to think again. Our own founding fathers built our country from their apartments. Thomas Jefferson didn't even own this house. He rented it. So let's skip forward from the Revolutionary War to the early 1900s. Did you know that in 1918 and in 1920, influenza broke out? What's crazy about this is it was happening at the same time as the Great World War, also known as World War I. So a lot of countries were censoring from the media how they were truly impacted by influenza. I'm guessing that had something to do with wanting to seem strong wanting to seem unaffected and not wanting 
enemies to understand what's really happening and what's how they're really being impacted. In fact, the only country whose media did not censor the influenza outbreak was Spain. So that is why the 1918 to 1920 influenza outbreak is often called Spanish influenza. I referenced Wikipedia for this one, and Wikipedia says the Spanish flu, also known as the 1918 flu pandemic, was an unusually deadly influenza pandemic. It lasted two years. It infected 500 million people. At the time, that was about a quarter of the world's population. So that means one in four people were sick. Unlike the flu that we are acquainted with today and that people were used to in that time, it did not discriminate. The Spanish influenza killed young people and old people alike, young people with healthy, thriving immune systems. So like I said before, it was occurring right at the same period of World War I, which was happening between 1914 and 1918. So World War I was known for killing between 20 and 40 million people, but the Spanish influenza killed over 100 million people. So I say all of this to set the scene for you, to set the cultural scene and let you understand how people were feeling, how devastating those two events were. Now, let's hear about some people who thrived. Walt Disney was scheduled to be shipped out for World War I when he contracted influenza. Now, records show that Walt was really devastated about this. It was his duty to fight, and his inability to fight left him feeling frustrated. The war then ended, and he lost his job during this whole process. He was unemployed. While he survived the illness, he was unable to fight and was forced to return home jobless. So then, Walt started renting a room for $5 a week in his uncle's house. And in this room is where he and his brother created Disney. Their first film, Alice's Day at Sea, debuted in December 1923 and was completely produced from the home office. Another remarkable contributor to American culture surviving the influenza epidemic is the 1966 Pulitzer Prize winner, Catherine Ann Porter. Catherine Ann Porter is a Texas native, and she began writing due to her own personal encounter with early 1900s diseases. Get this, in 1915, she spent two years in a tuberculosis sanatorium where she was actually mistakenly committed because she was recovering from bronchitis. But things were so serious then, it was nothing to be in a sanatorium for years. So in this two-year period, she began to write from her hospital bed. Porter authored one novel, Ship of Fools, in 1962, three novellas, Pale Horse, Pale Rider, 1939, which is actually about a young woman who falls in love with a soldier who is caring for her while she recovers from influenza. 
but then he catches influenza and passes away. Catherine Ann Porter also has collections of short fiction, including Flowering Judas, 1930, and The Collected Stories in 1965. We'll link all of these below. Her home in Texas has actually been turned into a museum. So let's jump ahead a little to World War II and name a very important woman who used her home as a war room and stage for global peace negotiations. Enter Clementine Churchill, the ever-devoted wife of Prime Minister Sir Winston Churchill. After the Second World War ended, her true role in resolving that endeavor was finally revealed. It came out that Clementine used the power of her home to marry civilized domestic conversation and stressful wartime negotiations through feminine charm and cunning, and it did not go unnoticed. The Telegraph Journal articled on Clementine and found her home living room adorned with over 30 gifts from European rulers sitting there as trophies, thanking her for her role in negotiations. The presents serve as a marker of how her home, living room, and dining room were very often used and turned into a space of peace effort negotiations for politicians and dignitaries. Clementine has been hailed as the motivating energy empowering Winston. But there's one gift in her home in particular. It was a trophy for her central role in coordinating aid for Russia. Factoid about Clementine. She, her daughter, and her nanny were also victims of influenza. While she and her daughter survived, their nanny did perish. World War II also gave way to many American women taking the workforce by storm. But then when the men came home, women had a pretty massive exit from factories and were positioned to return back to domestic living. But that career drive did not disappear. And it happened to coincide with the invention of plastic containers and all of those cool cutting-edge storage products invented by Earl Tupper. So, guess what happened? This lady named Brownie Wise, a former Stanley Home product saleswoman, invented patio parties and in-home sales. She spawned an entire industry called in-home sales. She's the lady who said, come over, have a party with me, We'll use all of my Earl Tupper Tupperware. And so while you're experiencing the food, you're also experiencing the product. This is a true American innovator right here. So if you love your Mary Kay parties, your secret romance parties, and all of those fun things where the girls get together and you do in-home sales, you have World War II and innovative women like Brownie Wise willing to work from home to think for that. There was a great article from History.com about Brownie Wise. I want to read you this quote from it. It really struck a chord with me. Tupperware parties were more than they might seem. 
Although they engaged in lighthearted socializing at living rooms, Tupperware party organizers were running thriving, woman-owned businesses. And the women who participated in them weren't just stocking their homes. They were experimenting with cutting-edge technology that helped food stay fresh for longer. During the 1950s and 1960s, thousands of women started their own home businesses selling Tupperware. All right, getting closer to present day, the 1970s oil crisis. So I wasn't around for this one, but my parents were. And I wonder if this had anything to do with hitchhiking being so popular in the 70s. But there was an extensive economic crisis related to oil. I pulled a bit from Wikipedia here just to give you a brief recap and synopsis. The 1973 oil crisis began in October when the members of the Organization of Arab Petroleum Exporting Countries proclaimed an oil embargo. The embargo targeted nations perceived as supporting Israel during the Yom Kippur War. This included Canada, Japan, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, and the United States. By the end of the embargo in 1974, the price of oil had risen by nearly 400%. At the same time, we were facing a lot of environmental factors. And the Atlantic put this into perspective for us here. Quoting the Atlantic, the start of the 1970s saw several key trends that pushed telecommuting to the forefront. And that included the Clean Air Act from 1970, the oil embargo in 1973, and the idea of gridlock was coined to describe what then seemed like terrible commuter traffic into and out of cities every day. Okay, so the stage is set in 1970. We've got oil skyrocketing, we've got clean air issues, we've got traffic and gridlock issues. And in comes this guy named Jack Nillis. And it may be Niles, but he's working at NASA on a communication system. So Jack Nillis said, hey, we can save gasoline if we work from home. And then he actually coined the term telecommuting. He also wrote a book that positioned the home office as a major solution to limited resources and easing unnecessary traffic. The book is available on Amazon. It's called The Telecommunications Transportation Trade-Off. So how cool is that? Even in the last 50 years, we see people overcoming stressful environmental and economic situations from working at home. So these were the important historical people I wanted to bring up to you today. We talked about Shakespeare. We talked about Sir Isaac Newton, Thomas Jefferson, Walt Disney, Catherine Ann Porter, Clementine Churchill, Brownie Wise, and Jack Nillis. These are the people we can look back on in history and say, you didn't let not being able to go to the office stop you. You didn't let quarantine stop you. You didn't let stressful economic situations inhibit your ability to contribute. So I want to encourage you, dear listener, to do that today. And I will end this episode 
by briefly sharing with you another group of people to think about. It's also widely known that many creative workers, like artists and writers, consistently work from home. There's an article on flex jobs that says in the 1960s, creative workers kept the work from home fires burning while most people reported to offices. So let me name a few inventors, authors, and artists for you to reflect on who we know have worked from their home studios. Leonardo da Vinci, the Wright brothers, Thomas Edison, Jane Austen, Louisa May Alcott, Meg Cabot, Simone St. James, Kara Cooney, Egyptologist and author, Stephen King, artists, Barbara Hepworth, Georgia O'Keeffe, Monet, and Jackson Pollock. When you're thinking about what you can contribute from your home office, reflect on what these people have contributed to society. Okay, I hope that you found this so fun. I hope that you've enjoyed this edutainment. Hang in there, stay quarantined, stay safe, and keep unleashing the power of your own spirit from your home office. This is not the beginning of working from home, but this is the beginning of our next major period of innovation. All right, Vert Force, that is it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate our podcast, and leave us a review. We really love hearing from you. If you need to find the show notes, which include all of the resources we discussed in this episode, you can find those at vertforce.us. Guys, I'm serious when I say we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for an episode or a question, email us at support at vertforce.us. As a reminder, all content associated with the Vertforce podcast is the intellectual property of Vertforce LLC. All right, catch you next week.